Welcome to Doing It On Purpose, your shortcut to reinventing yourself with a few giggles along the way for all good brown girls and beyond. I'm Dal, aka The Happyologist, your host, and after 20 years of a lot of work, I finally bossed this reinventing myself thing. As a self-proclaimed good brown girl, I've uncovered well-being secrets from my global travels and I'm saving you a few decades of work and sharing practical tips for your own reinvention and to help you find your purpose. And I'll be joined by some seriously smart good brown girls from the field of psychology, therapy, health and well-being. So if you're ready for a life upgrade, stay tuned. And don't forget to follow The Happyologist on social media for your daily dose of happy habits. I'm Dal the Happyologist and I am doing this on purpose. Hi everyone, it's your pal Dal. Thanks for joining us today. So I'm so psyched to talk to you all about the exciting world of Eastern derived and holistic medicine. So Ayurveda is a traditional system of medicine that originated in India and Ayurveda is an ancient system of life and also the oldest surviving medical system in the world from what I'm aware. So Ayurvedic science is not merely a traditional Indian form of medicine but a kind of perennial naturopathic system of healthcare that has survived the test of time as well as the onslaught of modern science and methods of treatment. So today we're going to get really deep into the understanding of how it can benefit us mentally and physically. And who better to do that than Anu? So happy to introduce you today to author and Ayurvedic practitioner Anna Pavola. Uh, Anna is author of this fantastic book, Ayurveda Detox, uh, where she demystifies Ayurveda, making it really accessible to everyone to heal themselves. And Anna also runs uh, an amazing organic wellbeing practice in Northwest London called Jivita Ayurveda. And she runs numerous and very popular retreats. Uh, she's also very well qualified in Ayurveda and has a BSc qualification in it. So we are in really good hands. And Anna's approach to healthy well-being is based on ancient ways of living and is focused particularly on how to discover and harness the body's ability to self-heal and recover and thrive. So welcome, Anu. <laughs> so happy to have you join the podcast today. I personally have written a lot of posts about Ayurveda because I'm fascinated by it, as are my followers. Uh, and as I hit my 50s and I see the negative impact Western medicine can have, and I'm always getting Western medicine thrust at me every time I go to the GP just to have a basic check. But, you know, I've gone fully alternative and I feel so much better for it. And you only have to look at the numerous health benefits of the news and back to research to see that there's a shift back to nature and natural practices like Ayurveda for healing. So, mm. you know, these are ancient Eastern practices, you know, as you, you know, know better than any of us. And, you know, us Asians, you know, have access to it. It's been passed down from our ancestors. And as a brown girl, there are, you know, you know, lots of practices which I feel hugely proud of and that we are seeing that are being adopted more by Western society today all over the world. And we're seeing, you know, a rise of it, you know, especially even celebrities endorsing it. Um, but personally, you know, I didn't know how much, uh, as much about it as I would like to have as I was growing up. I knew, you know, from my grandparents that, you know, sometimes when I had a cold or flu, they'd pull up the spices and the ginger and the turmeric when I was young. And I had no idea when I just wanted some basic cough medicine. Um, so there's so much to delve in, especially, you know, how it's changed my life and millions of others. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to start with the basics. Um, so the basic question is, what is Ayurveda and why should we care about it? Uh, thanks, Dal. Thanks for having me. What is Ayurveda? 
over the years, I've, I've tried to formulate a perfect answer for this because there's so much Ayurveda offers. And to put it in one nutshell is, is a bit of a, bit of a challenge. But the closest I have come to define Ayurveda is that it is a system that promotes self-regulation, the body-mind's ability to heal itself, like you just said in your introduction. It really is about letting the body to do its own work. And Ayurveda intends to remove barriers away from that healing using diets and lifestyle, herbs, body treatments and detoxification. And these activities, they need to be paced with natural cycles of life. If you use them correctly, you should be able to achieve long life without major disease and, and die without pain. Imagine that, you know, passing over with clarity in mind. And this in fact is, is a problem nowadays that the end of life experience is not thriving, you know, but it's often suffering. And if we live, you know, mostly in, in Ayurvedic ways, because you can't be 100% always, but most mm. time do the right things the way nature intended, then as a result, you can expect this uh, life without much, um, much health issues and then having a thriving old age. Wow, that's fascinating. So I guess it's a lot about healing your own body through this more natural process, which I think in Western society um, rings alarm bells for us because we've not known how to recover our bodies naturally. So it's quite a scary world for people to get into. But I I know a a big element of what you uh, certainly have written about and you endorse is a lot about detoxing. Mm -hmm. So just a quick one in terms of, you know, what are toxin and how does Ayurveda help with that? I mean, I mean, I suppose what is toxins? How does it affect us? And then how does Ayurveda help with that? Okay, so uh, we often think about toxins being something like heavy metals in your brain. But the most dangerous toxins that we have, they lodge in our guts as a result of bad digestion. And uh, I would bet the majority of people now have some sort of gut issue. And when the gut activity slows down, then you have residues. And these residues can ferment, they can even putrefy, and then cause all sorts of problems as they get seeped into the circulation. So the most important thing is to always have a clean gut. And when gut is, is clean, then the body is able to clean the internal environment in the tissues as well. So um, going into these kind of um, detoxification processes where you address an organ or organ system, uh, such as the liver or the brain, they really need to start first from a good gut cleanse because only then the body gets intelligence of being able to clear other areas of the body. So, yeah, mm. so Ama is the name in Sanskrit for um, these residues and digestion that can get into the system and then cause problems because their body doesn't recognize uh, there's a lock and key system with the uh, with nutrients when they come to the body and undigested particles when they manage to get into the blood circulation there is no lock where the key can go and then lodge into joints or you know spaces that then uh, start manifesting you know signs of ill health and is that a lot to do with, you hear a lot about leaky gut. So when you say particles go into the bloodstream, is that a big part of that when people talk about leaky gut? 
that's exactly what it is. Ah, right. Mm. Okay. Because I've always wondered. So that's toxins getting into your bloodstream and then causing havoc, basically. And that's a result of having really bad eating habits, not eating timely, uh, eating processed foods, eating bad fats, snacking, eating in the evenings. So all these activities that lots of uh, people have in their lives as a, as a norm are really damaging to the gut lining. And the gut then gets inflamed. The inflamed uh, tissues are not strong to hold together. So those kind of tight junctions between the cells and the gut lining, they start opening up. And then these big particles that should not get in there, they get in there and then obviously cause this these uh there's a symptomatology that comes from these undigested particles floating in in wow and i think kind of medically they say a lot around the gut being your second brain and you know obviously i'm a positive psychology coach so i talk to a lot of people about mental health and well-being and actually i don't think people still appreciate the importance of making sure that our gut is healthy to enable us to be not only healthy from the inside, but, you know, feeling mentally happy too. So the gut has a lot to answer for from our physical and mental well-being. Absolutely. And I would say it's the first brain. Gut is able to perceive danger before your brain does. So you have this sudden feeling something's wrong. You know, that comes from your gut. Um, Mm -hmm. And so if you think about how, how evolutionarily... Uh, things have evolved not only in time, but also, let's say, you know, how fetus forms. Uh, first, the gut to form, and from there, the brain forms. And there's a tight link. They never separate. So they're one and the same. So whatever is going on in the gut is going in the brain. And so you can influence one and the other uh, from each end. But it's much easier to deal with the gut than the brain, because brain might have you know, conditionings that have been there since early childhood and to change those. It's, it's a bit of an um, endeavor, let's say, um, to change your ways, but you can influence your gut and, in, and, and renew your gut lining in three days. Therefore, you can also influence the, um, the mental mood. Amazing. I hear a lot about doshas and gunas uh, being important, so vata, pita and kapha. And I understand the key to understanding the body's constitution. So it'd be really great if you could just give us a real kind of noddy's guide in terms of what um, doshas and the importance of gunas are and what should you do once you establish what they are. So dosha theory is a really interesting alternative of looking at our psychology and physiology, both of them. And so we consider the doshas being three different forces, three different energies that influence every living being. And living being are single cells and complex organisms. And so if something has a life, so they are born, they have a life and they die, that's a life cycle. So anything that has a life cycle is influenced by these three doshas mm. and um, and they you know they're responsible for all the functionality of our body and uh, as you mentioned them vata pitta and kapha these sanskrit terms uh, are the names of these three different forces vata is an energy that moves it moves wind 
this theory is very ancient. And on uh, those times, they didn't have microscopes. They didn't have, you know, the scientific paraphernalia to understand the workings of the of the universe in, in the way that you we look at it now in the Western science. However, they realized that there are these forces and they are very minute things. We can't see them. So they called them with metaphors. So this energy called vata is, is called wind by a term that they thought it, it works like wind. Mm. So Vata energy moves. It's a propulsive uh, energy. So it pushes. If you think about wind in an autumn day, you, it blows the leaves. Yeah. Mm. And what happens is where well, it creates movements and behind it leaves an empty space. Yeah. So Vata creates movements and creates space in the body. So, for example, uh, you have uh, food coming in and food going out. That's a movement. Yeah. So when you go to the toilet, you empty your gut. So you move the feces out and you leave an empty space behind. And that brings a sensation of lightness. Yeah. When you think about people uh, blow on your hand and feel, what does it feel like? It feels cold and soon it feels dry. And, and if you go, you know, blow long enough, it becomes rough. And, and so, so vata is an energy, a dosha that has a set of qualities. We describe it by the sets of qualities that are the same as you would qualify the wind with. So it's cold, it's dry, it's irregular as well. Wind blows irregularly. You never know when the wind blows. Whereas mm. sun comes up regularly. We know if you look at millions of years back, we know exactly when the sun came up. And this is uh, this the, the regularity element, the guna, uh, is a guna of pitta dosha. So we have first dosha is vata, second dosha is pitta. And pitta means fire. Fire is, uh, we qualify that fire. Fire doesn't have any weight. It's light and it's obviously hot. So light, the hot, fire is intense and tense as well. And so it creates that. But it's a transforming element because if you burn something, if you put heat somewhere, then you have uh, change. You burn wood and it becomes ash. You boil a potato from hard, it becomes soft. So heat, the pitta element, transforms. It's all the transformative elements. So the digestion and metabolism in the body is governed by pitta. Whereas vata, the movement, is all nervous system and movement, you know, circulation and detoxification and menstrual cycle and hormone circulation. Pitta is a transforming function that then helps to transform the food into nutrients, to energy. Wow. And then kapha is uh, the third dosha. And kapha means phlegm, yeah? But, you know, if you see that, every cell has phlegm. But it's, again, a metaphor. And phlegm is like glue. It holds together. It binds uh, the, uh, the cells together and holds the structure strong together. So if you see that there is one organism, food is coming in, Food is going out, and then in the mid and in the in process, it's turned into energy. And what holds the whole thing together is the kapha and dosha. Mm. So this is how they how they act in every single uh, organism: a single one and a complicated one. And every single need, you know kind of cell needs these energies. So otherwise, there's no life. And they kind of every cell is an individual as well. So we've got different kinds of cells. We've got nerve cells, musculoskeletal cells. We've got skin cells. And all these, they have a different, you know, proportion of these doshas in them. If you think about how many cells do you have in your body, you've got about 10 trillion cells in your body. 10 trillion individuals. 
coming together and then that's an individual you not you can't repl replicate yourself but you are you know a very unique person and um, kind of a collective of individuals that decided to work as a human <laughs> and that's um, then when you have been conceived when you've been conceived uh, that's when you're the nature, your constitution of doshas comes together. And that defines what are the qualities, the gunas in you. Yeah. I mean, this is fascinating. It's blowing my mind. <laughs> Absolutely blowing my mind. And, you know, the thing that worries me is, Anu, is that when we go to the GP, mm -hmm. we never talk about this kind of thing, right? So we're all treated. It's a one-size-fits-all yeah, You know, medicines are thrust on us without having any context in terms of how our bodies are working within us. And actually, you know, from what you say is we need to have a really good understanding of, of those you know, elements within our body to, yeah. to tell us how we need to fix it. Mm. So as I say, I was so reliant on Western medicine, even more, you know, so today than ever before. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really important for us in order to create, as you say, this harmonious balance, uh, you know, of these doshas, because having an imbalance will contribute to all the health issues, you know, that, that we yeah. face. So yeah. how, how, do we get to, how do we get to know, understand a bit more about what our doshas are? Um, what's the easiest way to find out? It's to look at those gunas. What are the, how does your body feel like? Ayurveda is all about feeling. It's not about mm -hmm. knowing. It's about feeling. So um, if you would do a dosha test, for example, something that you can find in abundance online, if you just go on dosha analysis or dosha tests, there are some simple ones and some, some complicated ones. There is one in my website as well. So you can just go and, and have a look and fill those questionnaires in and you can start looking at, ah, there's a patterns. I tend to have dryness or I tend to have heaviness. I tend to have signs of heat. I tend to have this. And so then you can start looking at, mm, in my behavior, in my physicality, in my you know, psychology, I, I often bring about that kind of manifest equality. And, uh, and so therefore you would see that you could categorize then and look at that quality and then categorize it under one of the doshas, depending on what the quality is. Let's say if you have lots of dryness, mm. in you, you would say, hmm, that is most likely a vata imbalance. Or let's say you say you've got lots of mucus and you say that's very thick and heavy mucus. You're like, ah, oh, that's a, that's a something that, you know, if that's a tendency, general tendency in your body, it would say, okay, hmm, I might have that kapha in my constitution to be the most prominent one. Because you have the older three, they need to be uh, kept in balance, but some one of the doshas is usually a bit more, one or two might be a bit more dominant. However, um, it's much easier to find balance for doshas if you practice seasonality, if you practice proper timing, and, and then the doshas will just keep in balance uh, naturally. And then understanding what is that, what are those couple of gunas, the qualities that tend to come up easily, and have diets and lifestyle that pacifies those gunas, and, um, and pacifying them early enough, quick enough, like on a daily basis, you know, if you see that heat is rising, cool quickly down. And, and, and that's where your Ayurvedic duty has been done mm. before it becomes a problem. 
Wow. Um, but yeah, we balance these doshas in a changing environment. And that environment has a routine. It repeats on a pattern. It's been repeating on a pattern since the universe, you know, organized itself in, in this uh, cosmic order between in our universe of the sun and the earth that calls the days and seasons. So um, we have been, all humans have, uh, not only humans, but anything that started, you know, from billions of years ago evolving and eventually became humans. They've always been in a rotational movement of nature. And so it's very natural for us to be on, on in a routine and work on a clock and, and do the things that nature intended. And so our doshas keep in balance. Wow. I mean, that's, again, another fascinating, uh, some really fascinating points there. The bit that I'm really interested in is around the importance of Ayurvedic diet. And I know that you've got your wonderful calf and you're always experimenting, you know, with lots of great foods and menus. So I really wanted to focus a bit more on that. And I hear a lot about the kind of six tastes and the general principle of Ayurvedic nutrition. So I think the six tastes are sweet, sour, salty, pungent, bitter and astringent I think that's right yes. uh, in every meal to having that to make sure it balances so oh. can you tell me a little bit about that yes so um perfect aerobic diets would be what we used to eat as hunter gatherers <laughs> if you think about what could be what, what, what was that diet it was always seasonal obviously mm. and it was there was nothing non-organic and it was always local yeah. So perfect Ayurvedic diet. So what should be on your plate is from those three parameters of seasonal, organic, local. And in fact, until about 100 years ago, we still used to eat this way. So to jump down of this bandwagon, you know, really recently. And, uh, and now we eat uh, food that is not local. Uh, you can eat strawberries at Christmas uh, that do not grow in here at this time. Um, it, they're not going to kill you, but they're not intelligent food. Ayurveda aims him always intelligence food. Seasonal food is always intelligent. It is your superfood. If you're looking for superfoods, that's what you go for. Seasonal food, preferably as local as you can. So occasionally you can have something as a treat, but mainly you should resort to seasonal, organic, obviously, as organic as you can and as local as you can. Um, and so the thing about seasons, it ties into those tastes, is that the, the food that grows in season is exactly provides the flavors that you need in those period of time. And there's a very, very clever system between the qualities, the gunas that we talked about before, is that the uh, gunas, the qualities of the climate, are exactly opposite to the qualities of the diet of that season. So what grows in nature in spring uh, is exactly opposite to the climatic conditions. And the same in summer and same in autumn. So, for example, spring, nothing grows in spring. Mm -hmm. So that's a natural time for, for us to lighten up because spring is a heavy period and it's a cold period. And everything that grows in nature in spring is warming. So it heats up the body, so it stimulates the body. It makes body cleanse. Natural cleansing detoxification period is during spring. And naturally, kind of the season's food provide that. And the flavors, the six flavors that come 
in that season, they are more on a bitter pungent and astringent line, cleanse the body. And then in the summer, we have a warm period, sun is drying, so all fruits and vegetables are juicy and sweet to calm down that heat. And then mm. winter and autumn, we have diet that is heavy, full of fats and proteins to put on a little bit of that layer to you know, keep us warm during the winter. But it has to come off in the spring. And by resorting to spring diet, which is like Weight Watchers or veganism, <laughs> and mm. eat less and you cut down dairy, you cut down meat, you cut down all those heavy items, and then you cleanse your body and you come to summer and you have abundance of food that is sweet and juicy and full of sugar. So that's a carb season. We need those because the sun is out more. We have, you know, the days are longer. And then again, we come to this period in here where we put those preserves uh, from the summer for uh, in storage so that they become you know winter foods and they're heavy and they're nourishing and they're calming so that's the kind of rotation of the of the season and the and the and the gornas but the flavors if you think about them like you mentioned you have to have the six flavors in every meal mm. each season you have them in you know in the different proportion they could kind of food pyramid of ayurveda is actually a flavor pyramid and that flavor pyramid changes every season. But generally, you would say sweet is the main staple of every plate. Then you have sour. Then you have salt. Then you have bitter, pungent, and astringent. The food could be anything. As long as it has these flavors, it's a perfect Ayurvedic dish if it's seasonal. So you would say plate of pasta with tomato sauce can be a perfect Ayurvedic dish in you know, end of summer and, and you know, winter. And that's a heavy meal. And so you would have sweetness from the pasta and tomatoes. Uh, you've got uh, sourness from the tomatoes as well. You've got salt, obviously. You've got bitter from basil, uh, black pepper, and olive oil is bitter as well. And pungent from pepper, if you want chili, and astringent as well in the spice. So it's actually a perfect Ayurvedic dish. If you right time okay so there's quite a lot of information packed in there really interesting and I love the point around seasonal foods because I never would have thought about that but is there any way that you can kind of condense that and make it a bit more simpler for us to kind of understand and I suppose take going forward absolutely yeah so Ayurveda uh, you know living naturally is simple it shouldn't be very complicated obviously there is a uh, there are dynamics in nature that are interesting to study but all in all, all you have to remember is this acronym, S-O-L, SOL, seasonal, organic, local. That's what should be on everyone's plate. <laughs> S-O-L, seasonal. And also how to eat is really, really important. And for that, I have another acronym, and this is triple S, simple, slow, and seasonal. So if you apply these S-O-L and S-S-S, in your, you know, cooking and 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 behavior around food, mm. you're doing perfect Ayurveda already. So you're going to get it very, very far. SOL is the seasonal, organic, and local. So that should be on your plate. And then remember, remember triple S: simple, slow, and seasonal. Make food simple. Don't combine too many ingredients. Don't make massive salads or, you know, uh, foods that have been cooked in different, uh, you know, pots. You can have one pot foods. So that's one item. 
it might have 40 ingredients in there, but when you put them together, it's one item. And then you have rice or pasta or other grain or, or bread or, you know, whatever it is that you, um, you know, add to it. So have like two items is, is great. More than that, it starts getting more complicated and more complicated it becomes, the harder it is to digest. And then eat slowly. Yeah, don't do anything around it. Just focus on eating and eat with your, um, you know, your mind in that food. A really nice, actually, uh, an, an experiment everyone can do is eat with their eyes closed. Put mm. a scarf around your eyes and, and see what happens when you eat. You probably won't be able to finish your plates because... Um, your mind, when it's where the action is and when it's monitoring what's in the, in going down, your taste sensation leaves when you've had enough. Even if you taste this food, you just can't taste it anymore. It's interesting. And also, you will be chewing as much as you need, as necessary. Um, so the body won't allow you to, to swallow if the food is not ready to go down. So what you need to do is uh, just kind of every every time that you can, just close your eyes and eat your food and see see what consistency the food needs to be when it goes down. Uh, but if you're watching television, doing something distracted by something else during a food, um, it's two bites, then you drink a little bit of water, then you've eaten the whole plate, and it's like, hmm, I'm not really satisfied yet. You go for a second serving, and then you go for a pudding, and suddenly you realize that you've overeaten. Whereas, you know, just focusing on that eating, being towards beautiful, delicious, seasonal, or cooked for your own personal needs, mm. eat them slowly. And so there you are. Perfect. Uh, you don't complicate things too much. <laughs> Almost being the present moment, which is so great on a number of levels and, and keeping us kind of grounded, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you and I have uh, talked about regularly before and you gave me some advice on was, um, especially for IBS, is intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're hearing so much about it at the moment. So, you know, it's such a huge topic and one which, you know, the brilliant Dr. Mindy is pioneering at the moment. Uh, and we're yeah. learning so much about the impact of food and when you know we should be eating and particularly around stabilizing blood sugar which is a massive problem I think you know certainly in western society you know how we can balance our immune system and epigenetics so again going back to the point around getting rid of toxins uh, which I know as you say is huge in Ayurveda but can you just talk to us a bit about the importance of fasting? So if your gut is empty all energy can go to healing that's it basically and if you fast at the right time then you have huge uh, potential of healing anything in your body. So if you eat, stop eating solids after five o'clock, um, that's, the, that's the solution. Morning fasting is only damage control for evening eating. Evening eating is one of the most damaging things for your health. It's, it really messes up with your body clocks. It puts the body into an inflammatory state at night. Nighttime is... Health, growth, and restoration. That's what should, should happen. Healing, repairing tissues, and rejuvenating, you know, from the wear and tear of the day before. And, and the body will do it if it's given a chance to do that. But the digestion takes all the energy away from healing. Mm. So in that way, morning fast, the, the, for people that fast in the mornings, it's necessary if they have late evenings. But generally, their uh, small intermittent fasting rhythm should be that 8 to 16. You have 
nine o'clock light breakfast, hefty lunch, because your digestive power is at its strongest at lunch. And then you have five o'clock supper, and that should be your light, light, light meal, um, which you will be then digesting for the rest of the evening. And then go to bed with an empty stomach. That will then promote self-regulation. Uh, what happens at night is then your liver will uh, basically deliver all that nutrient that has been broken down during the day. So your daytime is breaking down. Nighttime is delivering that to your tissues. So you get energy, you get uh, calming and grounding for the night ahead. After that, you have a detoxification period. So after 12 o'clock, between 12 and 2 more or less, the brain detoxifies, the arms detoxify, and the legs. And it all comes to the gut, and in the morning you go and eliminate. Yeah? And so if your gut is full of food, the liquids, the lymph can't come from the brain and the arms. And in the morning you wake up puffy, mm. you're stiff, you've got uh, less energy, you're, you might have some brain fog, you can't get out of bed. Fast in the evening... You go and you nourish yourself. You have nutritional deficiencies, no deficiencies. You have detoxified naturally. And then, you know, at night, your body temperature goes down. It's a systemic anti-inflammatory period. Wow. So consequently, you have healed anything that needs healing, or at least it has started. And you kept your gut uh, in that state that you can deal with anything. So there's no residues, no none of the armor that we uh, touched upon earlier. So you've nourished your properly, yourself properly. You have no toxins in you. You have no less pain or no pain. And you wake up energized. You don't have hunger because you've been given a time meal. But um, so generally... You have say that you have this fasting window of 16 hours after 5 o'clock. That would be the ideal thing to do. And then you have the feasting window for 8 hours for 9 o'clock, 1 o'clock, and 5 o'clock. So that would be the ideal thing. And you don't even have to change your diet. Only if you do that, I, mm. I you will have great results already. And obviously, no snacking in between those meals. That's, that's you know, snacking, okay, snacking and evening eating, like to the worst yeah. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, a lot of us are seeing this, um, a lot more education around this. And like you say, when you're in that fasting period, your body obviously can heal faster because all yeah. the energy is going mm. you know, to the places where it needs. The, the one thing that I think I've certainly found hard is we are, you know, now I'm hitting my 50s now, so it's a lot more difficult. But, you know, I'm kind of hardwired to, you know, my socializing is usually in the evening, meeting friends, family, you know, traditional sometimes with friends and family sitting around a table at six o'clock having a meal. So how do we change our mindset around that? What's the best way for us to do that? Because it's say food can be very social uh, and we get hungry. All right. So what's your tips around that? Yeah, well, um, first of all, if you want to meet your friends, uh, meet them at lunch. <laughs> well, you know, obviously, <laughs> I go out in the evening as well, and I go and see friends, but I do it occasionally. You know, but if I most of the times so I do the right thing, then I'm able to deal with that load of food and possibly wine as well. You know, so it doesn't put my system out of whack, and I can recover easily. And next day, I can lighten up. I can fast in the morning the next day. So. So it's all about, you know, doing most of the times the right thing. But there is definitely this problem that the business hours have, you know, determined that social time with families in the evening. People mm. sit, sit down at the table with the family and they, it's, it's a sacred time almost. 
interfere with that. And, and it is a big hurdle to go uh, around, but you can. So I have lots of clients who have done that. They, um, I, what I advise is that, especially kids, when they come from school, they eat immediately. Kids are always hungry when they come from, come from school. Give them a proper and then a snack in the evening rather than a snack after yeah. school and then big meal in the evening. So turn that around. And yourself as well, in the office, you know, wherever you are, at four o'clock, you are a peckish again. You know, you want to reach out to the coffee or the biscuits or whatever. Then have another meal at that time, like a lighter one, you know, bring it with you or even have which even if it's not the ideal thing to do, but just kind of have that, you know, lighter meal at that time. And then when you come home, you're not ravenous. Okay, that's, a, that's a thing as well, that people have one o'clock meal and then there's a big you know, gap in there. So one, two, three, until seven o'clock, then you can eat anything. I mean, it goes down the drain and then you're eating anything from the fridge. And, you know, it's just timing things right, knowing, you know, how to manage that hunger and also thinking about if you are eating three meals a day, you're not going to die of hunger. If you're finished at five o'clock, you're not going to die. Um, <laughs> just have, you know, just have to go through that blood sugar management period at the yeah. when you start practicing that. So if you're used to eating, and, you, and your body will get used to it, won't it? Mm, yeah, exactly. Your, your body starts to get used to it. Can you drink water? And some people say, can you drink coffee? Is there anything you can do, or should you just completely not have anything? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. You can have something, but not solid. Yeah, right. like a okay. meal would be great. A soup, a light soup, or, um, you know, for meat eaters, bone broth would be great. But, you know, something like a golden milk turmeric latte with a dollop of ghee or butter or coconut oil in the mixer. So it's really nice and nourishing, delicious meal. And so, um, but yeah, kind of solids, especially carbohydrates in the evening. You know, refined carbohydrates, especially. So avoid those. So, yeah. so we can train our bodies, like you say. It takes a bit of time, but you know, after a while, our bodies will start to get used to it. So, I guess the mm-hmm. the point is around perseverance. And then the bit I really wanted to get into a little bit more was about, you know, how we incorporate a more Ayurvedic lifestyle into our own life. So, you know, you touched on ghee there. So really interesting. There's a lot of uh, research around the importance of ghee. It'd be good to get a sense of, you know, what you think some of the basic things that you can uh, bring into your diet. So you talked about gold milk. So if you could tell us a bit about that. Um, uh, Tongue scraping, you know, people talk a lot about tongue scraping, whatever that is you know, drinking plain hot water. I know, you know, I've heard a lot about putting a a dollop of honey in your hot water first thing to clear your stomach. So what are some of the kind of basic things which you incorporate in your life, which you absolutely, you know, make sure that you do on a daily basis? First of all, I have lots of ghee. (laughs) Right. It's it's, uh, Ghee has had a quite bad rap over the years because it's been industrialized and it's become cheap and widely available for everyone. So poor quality cheap ghee uh, if you go into the supermarkets and get that in the tin you know it's rancid already obviously it's inflammatory and bad for your health if you make ghee home you buy organic uh butter and uh you know um separate the solids the proteins out of it and you've got this beautiful you know it's, it's like a ritual you know the whole ghee making it's so simple mm. And then you have the slightest fat, which has a high smoking point. So you can cook anything with it. And it's, it tastes really good when you make it at home. They, you, you, it's not rancid and it keeps forever. So you, you get the organic butter and you melt it. Sorry, so a lot of people probably won't know how to make their own ghee. So It's super simple. Yeah, you just put it at the lowest 
temperature you can on a thick pot. Just put, put the butter there and let it slowly, slowly melt. And then you discard the white solids that separate from the fat. Sometimes they come on the surface if the temperature is, is higher, you can't get it low enough. But if you can, can get it really low, then the solids they just stay at the bottom and you can just pour it through a, a um, cheesecloth. So you pour the liquid through the cheesecloth and then you leave the solid behind. Yeah. And those solids, you know, they're proteins. If you're making protein shake, put that in there. Ah, okay. So you can still use, you can still use Absolutely. that. Okay. Brilliant. Interesting thing about ghee is that it's called, uh, what, what it is, is butyric acid. And butyric acid is already a product that your body makes itself. So as a result, when you eat like roughage, like celery, that's roughage. So it's our mm. insoluble fiber. The end product of insoluble fiber digestion, so in the colon where the bacteria come and start eating those fibers, the byproduct of that digestion is butyric acid. So your body makes ghee on its own. Right. So it's natural. Yeah, it's naturally what we produce yeah. ourselves. Yeah. So when you have ghee, uh, it's very well recognized and it's a very good anti-inflammatory. And you can drink it neat like that, or how would you yeah, best? You know, it, mm. That's when you go into Panchakarma, the Ayurvedic detox uh, program, the signature program. That's where you drink ghee. But other than that, I use it on bread. I use it in my cooking. I put it in my coffee. Mm. That makes coffee less sharp. Yeah, it's coffee and it makes it really nice and creamy. So uh, to cut that sharpness of coffee, just uh, do it. it's called bulletproof coffee uh, often, but that's a, that's a really really beautiful way of, of having your morning coffee. Uh, yeah, anyway, I bake with ghee uh, and um, put it anywhere. Uh, loads of uses for it. Yeah. And you talked about golden milk, which is basically turmeric in warm milk. Is that right? And um, I put cardamom and saffron and ginger and ghee, and then. And uh, I usually add some maple syrup or jaggery, the cane sugar, yeah. and then just have that. It's so delicious. That's so healing. It's medicine, you know, in the evening. Mm. Cold, you come, you're coming down with something, got sore throat, you know, you feel like you can't chill. Turmeric latte. It's, it's one of the best things. In fact, you can start, have that yeah. latte. As on, on the go, so it's our special recipe. Uh, but it's it's just oh, that's amazing. In a cup, I'd love to <laughs> have to come and try it at the at the cafe soon. And you can get it. Uh, this is a thing you can buy it in Starbucks and places like that now. So it's becoming readily available. Um, yeah. And the other things I was going to say, I'm sure there's lots of things you do, and there's loads in your uh, uh, brilliant book, um, Ayurveda Detox. But mm. um, I hear a lot about kind of tongue scraping and. What what's your views on that? Well, you think about you know from your lips until downstairs, you've got mm-hmm. that is your gut, yeah, that is your digestive uh, system. So your mouth is part of your digestion, yeah. So chewing uh, is 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 the most important part, in fact, of digestion, and you want to keep that area clean. If you uh, but t- you know your tongue is very, you know. Um, it's not smooth. It easily, bacteria uh, easily get trapped into it. And so it's good to scrape it away. Just put, that, put the scraper at the back of your tongue and then gently pull out all that mucus that easily gets stuck in, the, in, in on the tongue. Um, but generally, mm. if you look at the tongue, it tells the tale of what's going down in there. So it's, it is the same tube. And what is on the, on the tongue is also on the lining of the gut. 
So if you have white coating on the tongue, you can say, all right, my gut is also lined by this. I need to detoxify. I need to stop eating. Because <laughs> that's, wow. that's the way to get rid of this. So do the small intermittent fasting rhythm. Don't eat after five o'clock and that tongue will clear. But you can in the meantime, and as a daily habit, it's just a really good thing to do. Scrape your tongue, take the bacteria away. It helps your, you know, uh, breath to be uh, a bit clearer as well. Mm. So I was actually going to ask you, just moving on from that, you know, what's the best way that Ayurveda can help um, heal diseases? You know, how do we move away from Western medicine? And I think one of the things that I certainly took from what you've uh, you shared with us is around how intermittent fasting is a really good way to rejuvenate. And I know people have been healed from diabetes, new cholesterol problems, blood pressure issues, mental health. So yeah. I think, you know, one of the things I know that you you know, most definitely endorse with your clients is around kind of intermittent fasting. And then it's like you say, around the foods that you eat, which we've just discussed. Is there anything else that from a kind of herbal medicine perspective that people can start looking at? I mean, I've used tinctures in the past mm. um, to kind of help heal. And, you know, now I think I'm on the right vitamins as well. But is there anything else? We talked about food, you talked about fasting, but is there anything else that you say, can help heal that we don't have to reach for the medicine cabinet with all those kind of nasty Western medicines and drugs that you feel that we should be looking at? Yeah, very good question. And we always come back, as you said, into the small intermittent fasting routine. That needs to be set in stone first. You can't expect healing if you keep eating in the evening. That's the thing. If you keep eating constantly, you can't expect healing because the gut is the root of all healing. So if you don't leave the gut time to recover and replenish, address immunity, address, you know, to kind of reinforce immunity and, um, and eliminate the toxins, that's when healing becomes very difficult. You can take herbal medicines, but it has to be, you know, compatible. The herbal, herbal medicine intake has to be compatible with your, with your diet and lifestyle. So this is mm. an, uh, saying that all Ayurvedic teachers say the first thing to their students, herbal medicines are great, but only if they're compatible with your life. Right? So if you don't change your life, don't have herbs. And if your diet and lifestyle are uh, set in stone, you don't need herbs. But, the, um, but obviously, you know, they boost your, your process. They boost the process of, of recovery and you can target certain organs and organ systems and certain specific diseases. And like gurmar is a fantastic herb um it's called j-u-r-m-a-r and uh, that's a really good blood sugar regulator neem is a blood sugar regulator so let's say you have gurmar and neem in your diet take it in the evening you fast it in the evening you take it in the morning as well um gurmar is fantastic because it takes your sweet sweet cravings away oh wow and we all need that yeah, exactly. It's a thing nowadays where they, they fly off our shelves all the time. We're all doing like, no, we don't have gorma because it's, it's such a fantastic herb. So uh, when I teach people to come out of the snacking and eating late uh, routine, I always introduce gorma to their diet because that just takes the, it affects the, the taste buds on your tongue. All right. But yes, yeah, so when you go into the small intermittent fasting routine, you notice that your blood sugar levels will fluctuate because they should. You shouldn't have constant blood 
sugar level up here because it predisposes you to insulin uh, resistance. You should be able to hold on to the highs and lows without losing your cool. You should be, you know, able to manage focus and energy levels, even if you're, you know, uh, at the low low state of blood sugar. So if you're fasting, for example, it shouldn't mm-hmm. be something that makes you unable to perform your tasks of the day. So you become energy efficient and you have metabolic flexibility. So those two that come as a as a result of small intermittent fasting and and you know really nice herbs that are then chosen for your specific needs, such as controlling blood sugar levels or cravings. Mm. And cholesterol is a big problem these days as well. A lot of people suffer from that, certainly as they get older. Any suggestions on what you can do to manage that? That's that's quite an interesting question because uh, mm. already years ago, the United States government defined that cholesterol is not a major threat to health anymore. So there has been 70 years or more of, of indoctrination that cholesterol is bad for us. In fact, there is bad cholesterol, obviously, but the problem with cholesterol is inflammation. Cholesterol is, you know, can be in quite large, quite kind of high amounts in in blood. If you mm. don't have inflammation, it probably most likely is not going to be a problem. The problem is that we have we're inflamed, and so uh, best way to lower down inflammation is guess what? Fasting. <laughs> yeah so yeah what will sort out inflammation if yeah, you have yeah. inflamed uh, blood vessels they become rough on the on the you know their their lining and mm. inflamed vessel then catches that that cholesterol and that can start accumulating but if the i mean if there's no inflammation in the cardiovascular system it just you know floats around happy uh catching to any point and causing a a health, you know, even a serious health issue. But first of all, you need to figure out if there's inflammation and especially request particularly that low-grade inflammation markers. Your usual tests for inflammation, they don't often count those low grades. But if, and most of us nowadays have low-grade inflammation going on. Yeah, yeah, it's more diets. Bad in that condition. Right, okay, that's really interesting. Right, I'm going to ask you really quickly because I'm looking at you and you've got the most beautiful skin and I'm sure people are, are wondering as well, those that are actually watching this uh, <laughs> on screens, but any tips in terms of beauty and healthcare tips? You know, people use a lot of essential oils and things like that. Is there anything you incorporate in your daily routine, especially as we age? Yeah, so I'm 51 now and my routines throughout the years have been just I put a toner and oil on my face morning and evening. That's all I do. I do have, you know, eye makeup remover, an organic one. Um, but the um, it's the evening fasting again that makes yeah, it so well. down to that because you you drain your your lymph, and so you don't have any breakouts, and you have luster, and you've got you know uh, brightness in your skin that you know that is not inflamed. Fasting is really important, but then lots of greens, lots, lots of, greens. of greens, yeah, yeah. Greens. yeah think about we used to eat greens all the time so if you're a hunter-gatherer that's what you find greens 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 and of course there's yeah. a root fruit or vegetable but it's greens and those are missing in our diets and it has a huge impact on liver uh, health and liver is always reflected to your skin health and also also to remember that your external skin is a reflection of your internal skin so the way your gut 
is expressing itself, it also shine, you know, comes out in your in your external skin. So it's always start mm. so for small intermittent fasting and detoxification that happens naturally during the night. And then don't use moisturizers. Moisturizers are right. they create a film on your skin. And then yeah, you, you know, to a certain extent, uh, stop evaporation of of liquids out of your skin. So mm. hydration. They can hydrate, they hold on to the hydration that is already there. Usually it's just a film that is created on your skin. If you put first toner, you get the hydration and then you mix a bit of oil into it. You don't need as much oil because your face is moist already. So the toner gives hydration, oil gives moisture and softness. Mm. And so if you're thinking, oh, I don't want to put oil on my face because it's so sticky, but if you put this mo- the, the, the toner on it, you need less of the oil and then you just massage it in. It's nicely, you know, tonifies the face wow. into the cellular space where it helps the cellular metabolism to lower down inflammation or increase the, you know, cellular activity and, and so on. So it's oils. That's fascinating. I'm just looking at your skin. It looks amazing. Thank you. <laughs> there is so much to unpack there. I think, I feel like we've got another couple of um, episodes that we need to do on that specifically alone, but um, we're quite short on time, so I was just going to do what I normally do at the end, is just do a couple of quick-fire questions. And as a happyologist, obviously, I'm always keen to know, you know, people's views on happiness. So in your view, in a very kind of quick-fire kind of way, what's your, um, what's your key to happiness? Contentment. So surrender, accept things as they are. And happiness is a byproduct of contentment. So uh, once you have contentment, lots of things become, you know, a source of happiness. Uh, you, you appreciate things so much more and they bring that and eventually that sensation of joy, you know, that really kind of celebration of life where you just sit and look, mm. everything is in its right place. It's as it, and that's contentment means that you might have lows in your life. But you don't lose the touch of understanding the meaning of it. There is meaning. When you have meaning in life, you have contentment. You have contentment, you have happiness. And then you have also joy. And, um, yeah, that's my formula. And you can I get love there. that. You can get there with this I already life. When you have uh, time. You can. When you have seasonality, then you're... Then you start beating with the rhythm of the universe. You're doing the things the way Mother Nature wanted you to do. Mother Nature intended. Yeah, I love that. And just one more question. If you knew now what uh, you you do now, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? What advice would you give your 20-year-old self now with all your wisdom and knowledge? <laughs> to be less obsessed about you know, <laughs> myself or you know other people's opinions. Uh, be more focused. I think I've spent lots of time just being distracted, being guided by my mind to just kind of do whatever mind gets you know interested in, rather than holding on to my thoughts and working on my talents. Uh, it took me quite a long time before I found my thing, probably because I was just practicing distraction all the time. <laughs> yeah, I love that. What amazing advice! So, obviously, got your book here with lots of really great information. Anything else you've got going, coming on there this new year? Obviously, we're all you know looking to rejuvenate ourselves in twenty twenty four. Anything you've got going on that we can uh, tune into? Well, the uh, Ayurvedic Panchakarma retreat is in Dorset in January, obviously now, 
And then we have another retreat coming up in April in Sicily. Oh, fantastic. And that's yeah. brilliant. And then you've obviously got your practice in Kensal Rise in yeah. London. Yes. Uh, and you've got your cafe too. Yes, it's all in one package. <laughs> I love that. It's fantastic. Um, and it's a great place. It, uh, I would definitely encourage people to go along uh, if they can. Listen, it's been fantastic. I know I've really enjoyed today. I think we've gained so much from this. And I think, you know, as we go into 2024, it gives us a lot of food for thought in terms of how we can focus on ourselves and focus on a healthy body and mind. So a huge thank you. Really grateful. Thank you for today. And for everyone else, wishing you love and light. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in, lovely listeners. Any questions or thoughts? Drop me an email at dialthehappyologist.com and follow me on my social media, The Happyologist, to stay connected for regular empowering insights to supercharge your journey to purpose.